1: Welcome one, welcome all, to our annual book Bonanza. Whether you're searching for the perfect stocking stuffer for the green fingered person in your life, or you'd like to curl up and enjoy a good gardening read yourself, we've got you covered. And to tackle the tremendous task of selecting our favourite horticultural books of the year, I've enlisted the help of two dear colleagues and friends.
2: Hello, I'm Fiona Davison and I'm the Head of Libraries and Exhibitions at the RHS.
1: And I am Tom Howard, Head
3: of Editorial at the RHS.
1: Let's dive right in, shall we? You're listening to Gardening with the RHS with me, Guy Barter. Before we start doing the Christmas shopping list, let's get a sense of the horticultural landscape of publishing in the last year. Tom, I think you've got your finger on the pulse of this stuff. What's it all looking like? So, before
3: coming here, Guy... I had a chat with a lady called Helen Griffin, who is the RHS's Books Publishing Manager, to get an overview of what the year in books looked like to her. And some of the themes she picked up on were that celebrity gardeners are still very much a big draw in uh, books world. But interestingly, so you've got the likes of Monty Don and Adam Frost, who do well in the book charts, but there's a guy called Hugh Richards, who also does very well. He outsells both those guys, and he is a sort of YouTube star, and he is very big in the world of Grow Your Own. And I think Grow Your Own is another big theme in books. Grow Your Own books are very popular. The likes of Charles Dowding, he remains very popular. Obviously, he's the no-dig guru, and he's now done eight or so books on Grow Your Own. And I think those are the two big themes that she picked out.
1: Well, I must say, looking at the bookshelves, there's loads and loads of fabulous books being published, and that's really encouraging that people are still buying gardening books. Despite all the online YouTube things, books are still very desirable in the eyes of the public. Absolutely. I think there's something
3: reassuring about a book. There's a lot of information online about gardening, and it can be not entirely clear who to believe although clearly the RHS website is the place where you want to be getting all your gardening information from but if you want things in a nicely packaged beautiful thing that you can take to the shed with you a book is a perfect option
1: and I always think of a book as a kind of sort of serendipity you get a book and you search through it and you discover things you hadn't thought of you wouldn't have actually entered into a search engine so books are entertainment in a way that other sources of information aren't.
2: Oh, that's music to my ears as a librarian. That's all good news. I think the other thing to say is that books can be really beautiful things. Having something tangible, holding in your hand that's the kind of solidified thoughts of the human being is a really nice thing. And often they're beautifully illustrated, beautifully produced and just a nice thing to have.
1: Well, that's fantastic. No, we've got so many book enthusiasts in the room. Let's really get down to it now and see which are the best books that you've found. The best books of this year. Fiona.
2: Well, it's been a busy year, so I haven't done as much reading as I would like, but I have found some really enjoyable books. Some are old friends I've come back to, and and one rather random new one, which I found on the shelves of the Lindley Library, which is Old Habacius by Reginald Arkell, which was published in 1950. It's about an old head gardener looking back on his life, going back to the 1870s, and how the world of gardening changed between 1870 and 1950. It's a bit twee, but none the worse for it. And it's a really nice insight into the life of a head gardener.
1: And you found this by randomly searching the library shelves, did you?
2: As I find most things, yes. (laughs) Quite often something will snag my eye, and for reasons, this one did.
3: What sort of things was the head gardener up to in those days?
2: Chasing small boys away from his (laughs) cabbage patch and scrumping his apples. It's a really lovely story of a man who kind of found gardening And it became his passion as well as his profession. And it's a little bit of a golden, misty-eyed look back at the good old days of the Grand Country House Garden and its decline after the two world wars. But it's really lovely. It's just beautifully written. But the one old friend that really captured my imagination, and I've looked at in a new light, I read it first as a teenager, was Wilkie Collins' The Moonstone. And when I first read it, I had no interest in gardening at all. I just read it as a mystery, it's a sensation novel. But now looking back, having picked up through my long time at the RHS, at least some plant knowledge, I now read it differently because I find that one of the main characters, the detective, Sergeant Cuff, is a gardener, loves roses and is a rosarian. And I just read the book differently now because that interests me and snags my attention in a way it didn't when I was 18.
3: Do you remember your reaction to it when you were 18?
2: Yeah, I just gobbled it up. I was, you know, just kind of read it as a mystery to find out who stole the moonstone. But for everyone who's not super familiar with the moonstone and the delights of Wilkie Collins, here's a little clip.
4: I'm Sergeant Cuff. This way, sir. These grounds are very nice. The sea air is very brisk and refreshing. Yes, sir. You have a rose garden. Oh, indeed. Yeah, you've got the right exposure here to the south and southwest. Yeah, this is the shape for a rosary. Nothing like a circle set in a square with walks between all the beds, but they oughtn't to be gravel walks like these. Grass, grass walks between your roses. Gravel's too hard for them. You seem to be very fond of roses, Sergeant. Well, I haven't much time to be fond of anything, Mr... At uh, sir. But when I have a moment's... Fondness to bestow most times, Mr. Betteridge, the roses get it. Now, show me, if you will, the room from which the diamond disappeared.
2: So that was an excerpt from the BBC radio adaptation of The Moonstorm, which sets the scene.
3: It's always interesting to me when a gardening book isn't just a deeply practical thing there's like a story or there's, you know, the storytelling within it. And this one sounds like there's mystery within it.
2: Oh, loads of mystery. I mean, there's not a huge amount of gardening tips and advice in the Moonstone, to be mm. honest, but it's just interesting backdrop. And it's what's really nice about it is that Sergeant Cuff, who is the man who is set to solve the mystery, his gardening attention to detail kind of fits with his character because to read and select roses, you have to have a real eye for detail. And it's that eye for detail that kind of helps him.
1: I thought that was a great clip. And the nice thing about radio adaptions is that, unlike television, there can't be any historical inexactitudes. But when you're watching television, period drama, you're thinking, that plant wasn't introduced <laughs> until 20 years later. <laughs> so for the pedants amongst us, um, radio has the advantage.
2: So I'd recommend it as a great read. They really knew how to do a cliffhanger in those days. And it's a good bit of escapism.
1: Thank you, for Fiona. You. I'm going to revisit my copy at home, my teenage copy. So, on to you now, Tom. Before I reveal mine and
3: Fiona's (laughs) (laughs) book of the year...
5: choice. I'm just
3: going to give an honourable mention to the RHS Encyclopaedia of Gardening, which is a book of the year, albeit one that's only just come out, because it is something of a phenomenon. It's an encyclopaedia that's been going for 30 years. It's sold two and a half million copies or so, which is big numbers for a gardening book. 800 pages long, and it's recently been updated by... Guy Barter. Yay! Uh, (laughs) uh, The whole idea with this book is that it gets an update in order to stay relevant for the next 10 years because, you know, it's a big book, it's an expensive book, it's about £50, but it's one of those books that's so incredibly full of detail that in theory it should keep you going for the
1: next decade. So it's one of those, if you only buy one book, this is the one. <laughs> That's quite right, Tom. Buy one for yourself and one for your friends, and um, <laughs> they'll be well set up for life. I always used to say when I ran the RHS Gardening Advisory Service that if all the members bought one of these books, I'd have to find myself a proper job. It was only half in jest. But I would say that there's a team of writers that contributed new up-to-date information to the fantastic original by our one-time Director-General, Dr Chris Brackell.
2: I've got the Chris Prokell version. It was my housewarming present. First house got with a garden. That was the Bible. That was the book I was set off on the track with. So I'm now torn. I don't know whether I need to kind of retire my old one because it's out of date and move on up to the Guy Barter version. Oh,
1: definitely retire it. Retire. I'm oh. ret- yes, buy more, buy lots. <laughs> yes. Well, Guy, what are the new... <laughs> themes that you've injected into the new version? Well, obviously, the world has moved on in the last 10, 12 years, and we've removed these reliance on pesticides and synthetic fertilisers. We've modified the information on plastics. We've made everything much more sustainable. Many plants have been introduced that have great merit, so we've pulled them in. So the plant list is something that is more up to date. It's got a lot of the breeding advances and resistance to pests and diseases, for example. We've taken a guess on what people are going to enjoy in the next 12 years. So dahlias have had a wonderful resurgence in popularity. My money's on chrysanthemums, so we've fine-tuned the chrysanthemum advice as well, for example. And again, the future for fuchsias isn't looking that great, but the fuchsia gall might. So we've looked at fuchsia substitutes, the kind of plants that will do the same job in the garden as fuchsias do when they become more difficult to grow. So it's been a huge work. I spent the whole winter gazing at my computer screen. So it was a real relief to get back to reading books after that.
3: That sounds like a hard winter for you, Guy. But I've got a suggestion for this year give you a much easier winter, which is to sit down by your log fire, and read my favourite book of the year, which is by an author called Ben Dark, and his book is called The Grove, A Nature Odyssey in 19 and a Half Front Gardens. Ben Dark was actually on this podcast earlier this year, and we asked him why, out of all the things he could have chosen to write about, he chose to write about front
6: gardens. As a head gardener, I'm very lucky to work in fantastic large sweeping landscapes with budgets to buy trees, to put in projects, to get rocks shipped down from Wales. But while doing this, I lived in a very small flat in London, as did most of my friends, contemporaries, the people that I was talking to outside the world of horticulture and away from my professional life my main interaction with greenery was with other people's greenery i'm in my 30s and those of us who do own houses don't own houses with vast landscape gardens we are riding on the tails of other people's plants quite a lot of the time to get our enjoyment and That can feel slightly upsetting. It could probably put you into a spiral of bitterness, wondering why do they get all these lovely things? But I took the view that actually these plants almost belonged to me as much as the people in whose gardens they grew, because I was seeing them every day. I was going past them, and they became something of my own, something of my world, just by watching them from the pavement. And that sense grew and grew until... I realized there is something to be said for this voyeuristic enjoyment of other people's gardens and the special pleasure we get from that.
3: So I think two interesting things to note, ways to kind of put the book in context, is that Ben Dark has got an MA in garden and landscape history from the University of London's Institute of Historical Research. And also, as he alluded to in that clip, he did an interview in The Garden magazine, and he said that he had gardened for a billionaire. So he had had unlimited resources, as he was saying, and he could do whatever he wanted. But that helped him realise that it wasn't the plants that made a garden special necessarily. It was as much about the people as it was about the plants. So that sort of leads into what is really, really nice about this book is that he finds romance and magic and all sorts of things in these, I wouldn't say necessarily ordinary front gardens. They're very, very well looked after. But, the, you know, they are front gardens. They are gardens that everyone can see. They're very, very accessible. The book is split into chapters that focus on plants that, you know, we all know. So wisteria, privet, buddleia, hollyhock, valerian, pelargoniums, camellias, tulips, flowering cherries, etc., and so on. And then within each of those chapters, he does a really, really amazing job of telling the story of that plant. The story of that plant then tells him, about the street or the garden that that plant is planted in. And he does it in a way that's not only informative, like he tells you about the history, which is really, really interesting, and he delivers that information in a, in a really accessible way. He tells you about the history, but also he does tell you about the plant. He tells you about the botany. He tells you about you know the conditions this plant likes. He tells you about what that plant being on the street means about the street and what i also liked about it is it's really it's quite funny it's easy to forget sometimes when you read a lot of garden writing the gardening is fun it is supposed to be fun it's not supposed to be a really kind of arduous task where you just have 100 jobs to do and you're just constantly battling the elements and the pests like gardening is fun it's a good thing to do and he really gets that across what was your take on it fiona
2: I agree. I loved it. It's exactly that mix of history and horticulture that is my little sweet spot. He's coming as a trained horticulturist, really knowing his plants really deeply and intimately. And then he brings history to that. And I've come from the other end. I've come from history and then slowly gaining awareness of plants, because until... You start to notice plants. I think you really miss out a big understanding of the places that you're in. We're used to history being about the built environment, about noticing historic buildings and noticing churches, castles and thinking about the man-made things. But the plants, particularly in the city environment, are just as much a product of that history. There are just as much human choices. And he brings that, and he's saying, you know, before he was trained horticulturally, I think he was in the space where most of us are, that most plants are just backdrop. They're just green blobs. And he's got a really lovely turn of phrase. But he talks about it's as if everybody you knew was just a featureless balloon on their heads. And as soon as you start to know the detail of the plant, the features start to come to light and you start to see them differently. And I think you start to see the area you live in differently when you notice the specifics of the plants and the choices that were made and what it tells you.
3: He created a game in my head. You know, I was wandering the streets of south-east London on a weekly basis and now I can't help but look at all the plants that mm. I can see I can't do what he does he's amazing at reading a street it would be a great fun game to get Ben <laughs> Dark and plonk him down in like yeah. 10 different streets across
1: this across and the UK them. and read yeah. them <laughs> yeah yeah it's so true reading streets is a wonderful skill and a wonderful way of passing the time and tedious walks to the station <laughs> and the dentist and such like in my area I live in the 1930s Surrey suburbs and you can see the old gardens where people who are now sadly passing away their roses and there is Azaleas are grubbed mm-hmm. out, and then the next generation who came along and replaced have put in things like fetinia and Eliagnus and choicea and now the n- latest generation are rather regrettably putting in artificial grass, and you can see where some of the houses were built on the land previously occupied by Victorian villas, so you can see magnificent Holm oaks, for example, and um, great big Leyland cypresses. And here and there you can see the trees that were left over from the farmland because it's only been 90 years since my street and the streets around it were open heathland and farmland. So these enormous oaks, some of them absolutely vast, it's just extraordinary walking through the suburbs and suddenly seeing an oak that's 70 foot tall and 70 foot across. Mm. So, Tom, overall you've picked one book, but would you recommend it to our listeners at home? Absolutely. It's got everything
3: you want from a... um gardening book it has got horticultural detail historical detail great writing so if you're interested in any one of those things i highly recommend it
1: now it's time for me to share my book highlights and i know you've all been on the edge of your seat waiting for <laughs> to, to hear my list and the first one i wanted to mention is q trees well the, the tree book It's written by scientists at q it's the story science and history of trees is the full title Another one, not to be outdone by Fiona, is a golden oldie that I use every week and it's called Your Garden Week by Week by a gentleman called Arthur Hellyer. One of the other books I was going to recommend is a Vertical Veg by Mark Ridsell smith about growing plants in containers a really deep and detailed book about that and there's a little scientific tome that i was going to mention about compost the final book on my list is grow five by lucy bellamy it promises simple seasonal recipes for outdoor spaces with just five plants and that's just what it delivered we actually got to speak to lucy in the spring of this year where she gave us a handy guide for a wildlife friendly planter
5: So my recipe for May, I've called pointillist plan. Nature's got a way of arranging itself into really beautiful and harmonious patterns. And this plan adopts a pointillist approach with points of colour working together to create bold shapes. Different types of insect like different shapes of flowers. And so this is a really useful one for attracting lots of beneficial pollinators to your garden. So to create this plan, you would need to use Allium Miami, Circium Atri a fennel, you could use a brown fennel but I've used a green one iris sable which is a scented iris in vibrant purple and Stipa gigantea which is, has brilliant seed heads later in the year you can create this flower at any time as long as your soil isn't frozen but it'll really start to come to fruition in late spring, early May. You'll have the rich purple irises and the violet alliums and these kind of bright red inky blobs of cerium. It's a kind of thistle so the flowers are relatively small but held really high on long stems. The froth of fennel, which I'm using here mainly for its foliage, is a lovely foil for the jewel colours of the other flowers. It's see, amazing to go out on a summer day and see this i've planted summer in my own garden and literally the sound of the hum of the bees when you go out is almost in the loveliest way it's almost deafening
3: i haven't read that book but what i like about the idea of it is the sort of deliberately restricted plant palette if you're just having five plants in your planting recipe because it's very very easy as we all know
2: <laughs> <laughs> to get carried away. To get
3: carried away, you know, and just bung as many different types of plants in as you can. And actually, that might work, but if you just plant five and you plant in mass, and it's good for wildlife, it's easier on the eye. Good design tip start simple.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. Many gardening books have got layouts for borders and beds and parterres and elaborate container things. It's not necessary, and that's what this book shows, to get a really good result, and you just have to buy a relatively small number of plants. And, of course, once you've bought those plants or seeds, which is initial investment, you can then go on propagating them. And if you like the plants and if they do well in your garden, you can use them elsewhere around the garden. So it's a good way of getting started. We all have grand plans and sometimes we get to put them into effect, but more often you've got small areas that are not giving satisfaction and this is the kind of book that gives you ideas to actually do something practical. Who in particular... Would you recommend Grow 5 for Guy? I'd recommend it for the person who's just got into gardening and is a really enthusiastic gardener and taking their garden in hand and getting to know plants and design. I'm thinking of my sister-in-law in in particular here. She's going to absolutely love this book. She's just got into her gardening in the last 10 years and her taste and skills have gradually increased and this will really help her take it to a higher level. Have you just ruined her Christmas present surprise? (laughs) Another one. Well, actually, this is just an extra gift. Her Christmas present is already bought and wrapped. You can't just give free books to to Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) She'd smell a great big rat.
2: So you had some other books on your list. What else are you recommending?
1: Well, Fiona, one that you'd approve of, I think, is a book from 1936 called Your Garden Week by Week, written by a gentleman called Arthur Hellyer. And Arthur Helia taught me gardening more or less because my father bought me his book called The Amateur Gardener when I was about fourteen or so, and it's been a treasured possession ever since. But your garden week by week is that kind of thing that I do every week, which is come up with things for podcasts, for RHS social media, and it's literally what to do week by week through the year. And it was written before the advent of pesticides and artificial fertilizers, so it's gonna sort of follow the trajectory that we'll be following in the future.
3: Is there an interesting thing going on here where books that were written before the advent of pesticides and chemicals and such like are now more relevant to the gardeners of today than books that were written after that that are referencing the use of chemicals?
1: Yeah, there's an interesting thing going on. Whereas we buy packets of proprietary liquid fertilisers, for example, in Arthur Helia's Day they'd be making their own and where we use pots and containers. They would use much more open ground. Mm. Pots and containers and potting media are expensive. And when they did use potting media, even John Innes' compost hadn't been invented at that time, so they'd make things that contained garden soil, crushed bricks, composted horse manure, soot, all sorts of things. Yeah, I now
2: think one of, yeah, one of the interesting things about those really older books is they're quite hard to read sometimes about the recipe for their growing media. Some gardeners would keep it quite close to their chest, you know, what was the perfect mix for whatever plant it was, but there are, as Guy says, real differences because of the different technology in terms of growing plants on and the idea of a nursery bed and a seed bed, much more prevalent than the kind of container-based propagation that we do now. Mm
1: -hmm. I would say that this book is specifically designed for beginners and so Arthur Helia held nothing back. He gave people everything they needed to know to be successful.
3: So Guy, judging by the fact that you're holding another book in your hand, I think you've got one more to reveal to us.
1: Well, I have got at least one more to reveal to you until you finally run out of patience with me. But this one, (laughs) this one is called The Science of Compost, Life, Death and Decay in the Garden, which is actually a really good read. An academic called Julian Doberski has written literally in great detail in a slim volume of about 100 pages about exactly what goes on in the compost heap, the microbiology, the chemistry, how things turn from rather unpromising stalks and stems into lovely crumbly compost. He's not precious, it's not a celebrity compost that (laughs) mysteriously comes out a beautiful black crumbly thing. He recognises that in real life, compost is a bit twiggy and it's not quite as one might would imagine, but it's still excellent material. So if you're interested in composting, and I find that a lot of gardeners are more and more interested in composting, this really gets down to what's going on under the hood.
3: I don't think there's a greater moment in the garden than turning the heap to reveal the magic yeah, that has... Yeah, uh... underneath,
2: hopefully. <laughs> I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship. I feel at the moment that a lot of my gardening is about feeding the compost heap. Let, literally, that's the point. And I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with my hot composter at the moment, which is not hot. So I, I need to read that book.
3: <laughs> I have a similar thing, and sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm buying vegetables yes, just, just to, to peel the them com- and feed the heap.
2: I get real pleasure if I get a lot of peelings because I'm thinking, Ooh, yum, yum, compost. Uh-huh. (laughs)
1: You're doing it all wrong. Here's my top tip. (laughs) Buy flowers for your spouse. You get a lot of brownie points. And if you buy big flowers, like lilies, for example, there's a lot of material left over for the compost. (laughs) Um, So that's my top tip for the listeners today.
2: You old romantic. (laughs)
1: So overall, Fiona, Tom, your year in books, has it been a good one? Is next year going to be better? Have I given you any tips that are going to enhance your reading over this winter?
3: I mean, I think gardening books are a beautiful thing. I think a good gardening book can transform your garden and the way you garden. And they stay on your shelf for a very long time.
1: And I see the library is pretty well-fronged, Fiona.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that's the great thing about library, you don't have to commit You can try a book and then bring it back and find the one just like your houseplants that you want to have a long-term relationship with. So I think, as Tom said, hopefully next year there'll be more time to read and get stuck into more books.
1: I must say that my reading has not been all it could be in the last 12 months. Partly because I was busy writing the encyclopedia, <laughs> and also I found I couldn't actually manage to read books. And after a little while, it occurred to me to buy a new pair of glasses, <laughs> and things got much, much easier. So I've got a big pile of books at home that I'm going to read my way through. And of course, um, Mr. Dark's book, *The Grove*, will be high on my reading list because I need plenty of exercise when the allotment is quiet over the winter shall tramp streets of suburban Surrey gazing <laughs> at the trees and the plants in front gardens.
3: Here's some good intel for you from um, the people who run uh, the RHS shops. Children's books um, sell very well in the RHS shops and children's gardening books for children so I have uh, i have two small children and I'm going to be getting them both a gardening sticker books for Christmas as a wildlife one and a plant one again books are a great way of getting kids into gardening
1: yeah it's a great idea
2: so that's all very inspiring good luck with your new glasses and further reading Guy and good luck with stickers and I hope they stay in the book and not all over the house with you Tom <laughs>
3: God willing
1: <laughs> well that's about it for today
3: If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do consider giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts.
2: Don't keep a secret. Rating the show is the best way to encourage others to listen to the podcast and help spread the love of gardening far and wide.
1: So from all of us here, good luck with the Christmas shopping and we'll see you next week.